Hello and welcome to the SpiceCast, the podcast where we talk about spices and spicy moments in our everyday lives. I'm your host, Ruben, and joining me this episode are two very special guests. Uh, my first guest, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Dale Diaz. I go by Strophium on the interwebs. I'm a game developer by trade and hot sauce enthusiast slash creator uh, as of recent. Awesome. Thank you for being on the show with me, Dale. Glad to be here. And uh, our other guest, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jesse Shanahan. I am a machine learning developer by day and grower of peppers and eater of spicy things all of the rest of the time. Um, I go by Enceladosaurus online, but uh, you can just call me Jess. All right. Thank you very much, Jess, for uh, also being on the show. And we're excited to have your uh, pepper growing and eating expertise. Of course. This episode of the Spice Cast is going to be focused on hot sauce, as Strophium mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, and it is part three and the final part of our, uh, our series on chili peppers to close out the year 2020. And we'll be starting 2021 uh, with a, a new series on various spices from around the world. So really excited to have um, both of you, Jess and Strophium, on this special hot sauce episode of the SpiceCast. Okay, so let's get started by talking a little bit about our experience with hot sauce. Strophium, would you lead us off? Sure. So I guess the, the base definition for something that would constitute a hot sauce would be it would have to include, you know, peppers of some reasonable capsaicin content, usually like at least a thousand. Um, it's usually salt and acid and uh, some kind of liquid to dilute the, uh, the mash that you get from blending it. Uh, so that's a pretty wide umbrella. And I think we'll see like uh, with the examples that we're going to come up with like regionally, uh, there's things that are very different that still fall under that category. Yeah. So what's your personal experience with hot sauce um, in terms of making, consuming, all of that? So I've basically eaten hot sauce since I was a small kid. Uh, I think the first thing I ever tried was Tabasco. I think that was a lot of people's entry point. Um, and obviously, uh, Sriracha became a very big craze around when I was in college. So everyone was eating that all the time. Uh, and then I started getting more experimental with things. So I was looking up different, uh, different peppers, different capsaicin contents. And I really started to nerd out about how even though things that either could be comparable or even uh, spicier would like burn in a different way and there would be very, very fundamentally different things happening with very similar ingredients, which uh, was just really interesting to me. So incidentally, I sort of built up a tolerance over time so I could appreciate sort of the more complex but also really hot peppers. And uh, recently, you said you've gotten into making hot sauce. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So um, uh, just before the pandemic started, I had started fermenting stuff uh, just because I like things like sauerkraut and pickles. And uh, really, I'm trying to get good at making kimchi. The, everyone says it's easy, and I agree that the process is easy, but I think like getting it exactly where you want is kind of challenging. So 
Uh, I got laid off my job from uh, a few months ago. And then I started, around that time, I was starting to ferment peppers. And I noticed when you fermented peppers, something fundamentally different happens compared to fermenting other things. It sort of unlocks these flavor and smell components that were sort of hidden there before. So I got really excited about that. And then I started getting into making lacto-fermented hot sauces. And uh, with having, you know, lost my job and I'm sure you know, like in the game industry, it can be hard to find <laughs> another job very short notice. While I'm dealing with the unemployment stuff, I just decided to, you know, take this really seriously. And um, they're converting this hobby into like a sort of small business has been like a really fun puzzle to solve. So uh, I've been sort of scaling up my operation, trying out different peppers, different fermentations, different brine percentages, and uh, just sort of trying to have as much fun with it as I can. Awesome. And uh, I've had the pleasure of tasting one of Strophium's hot sauces, and I can report that it was excellent, uh, smoky, garlicky, a little bit spicy, and just really great on um, pretty much everything I've put it on so far. So uh, very talented uh, second profession, I guess, for you or, or side gig. I think right now it qualifies as a side gig. Yeah. Um, Jess, how about you? What's your experience like with hot sauce? So like Strophium, I, I remember trying Tabasco-like sauces as a child and finding them absolutely awful. Um, I do remember that one of my fond memories of my grandmother is that we both really loved wasabi and we loved horseradish. And one of the things I loved so much about it, even though it's not, of course, chili based, is um, that it would have this kind of like punch to your, to your nose and then it would fade out. And so you weren't really left with this overwhelming kind of palate dominating, fiery spice. Um, and so for the longest time, I, I honestly, I thought I had no spice tolerance. I, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and then I, I spent a semester abroad in North Africa and... I swear there were chilies in the water because <laughs> everything was spicy. And I spent about two weeks in a lot of discomfort. And then I was hooked. And I, I remember right before I left, my host family teasing me that, you know, now I was a real Tunisian because I, I would just drench everything in harissa or any kind of the <laughs> derivative chili paste because I wanted it in everything. Um, since coming back to the States, uh, you know, I, I still am not super fond of Tabasco-like sauces, just because a lot of times the overwhelming flavor to me is that of vinegar, and it doesn't really have a lot of those more complex flavors that I find in um, non-American chili sauces. But harissa will always be, I think, one of my favorites. Uh, I have also been lucky enough to try one of Strophium's uh, hot sauces, and it is absolutely amazing. One of my favorites that I've tried and really reminded me of how much I love uh, hot sauces or, or chili paste that have a lot of smokiness to them. And that's something that I found in Harissa and in the hot sauce from Strophium that I tried. And I think to this day, that's that's one of my favorite uh, types of hot sauce are the ones that have that kind of like smoky, um, smoky nature to them. I have a quick interjection on that point, by the way. I think it's really fascinating. Um, there's like, 
I would call them like plateaus or thresholds. Like a roughly every fifty thousand Scoville is what I've found to be a, a different threshold for me for tolerance, and it can be kind of painful to build up that tolerance. But once you break through the threshold, it's like your mouth has leveled up to appreciate all the nuances that those peppers can offer. And it's really hard to advocate for people to like, just push through that. Endure the pain. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you come across as just like someone who's just trying to show off how much pain you can tolerate. But uh, it's really fascinating. Like habaneros were the first big discovery that I had. They're so fruity and so floral and like very sweet. But if you're someone that a jalapeno is really hot for you, or like sriracha is kind of too much, you'll never taste how good a habanero is. Right. But I think there's there, there's another lay, layer to it as well that goes kind of beyond the Scoville units, which is, you know, when I've tried to get other people interested in, in, in hot sauce or in eating spicier food, I made the mistake of kind of starting with sriracha or starting with like a Tabasco. And I think for, not that there's anything wrong with, with Tabasco or, or sriracha, but I think it's harder in some of those sauces to really kind of taste any kind of complexity. Whereas there are other hot sauces that while they are just as spicy or even spicier, all of the different flavors are a lot punchier. They come, they come through a lot stronger. And so I think it's easier for people to kind of taste the flavor. One of the things, you know, that I found really interesting was the first time I tried ghost peppers and, you know, I, I was sitting there really intimidated, not, not ready at all for, for what I was about to experience. And my friend had a, a ghost pepper honey. So it was like a blend of some kind. Hmm. And I was amazed at how much pain I was in, but also how flavorful it was. And then I couldn't stop. I kept trying it over and over again. I was like, ow, this hurts, but like, it tastes so good. There's all this flavor here. And eventually, you know, of course, building up spice tolerance. But that's something I found too, is that if it's really flavorful, it's a lot easier to kind of keep eating it and, and build up that tolerance. You know, Jess, I, I absolutely have to agree with you about Tabasco, especially. I think it's so one note on the, the vinegar and spicy uh, level. Um, and the, I have a similar sort of story where, where the first time I was exposed to Caribbean hot, Caribbean style hot sauce, which includes more fruits and different kinds of peppers, scotch bonnets, um, even though it was spicier, that was in high school for me, even though it was spicier, um, it was infinitely more flavorful and infinitely more nuanced than the other sauces that I had tried before that. And that sort of opened my eyes to the world of hot sauces that are are so so varied and so interesting. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, the more that I've tried chili pastes and hot sauces and even just peppers, different types and, and you know, from different areas of the world, the more that I've been really amazed because if you would talk to me as a teenager and ask me, well, what does hot sauce taste like? I would be like, it tastes like pain. Um, it doesn't taste like anything. And and now it's there's such a diversity and such a wide variety of flavors, types, and even experiences of how you kind of experience the spice. So it's not all 
just a mouth overwhelming, lingers, coats everything kind of experience. And there are, you know, to, to what you were kind of explaining, the, the one note hot sauces really kind of do the, uh, the cuisine, if you will. It does it an injustice because there are such complexly and richly flavored chili paste and chili sauces that I just wish they were more common because I think a lot of times they are, they are, uh, you know, non-American and that can be intimidating at least for a lot of, um, like my family, for example, trying to get them interested in like Sambal or in Harissa or something that they, they're a little intimidated by the fact the packaging isn't in English, to be honest. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, I, I wish a lot of these, um, these different varieties were a lot more common and not just kind of amongst hot sauce enthusiasts because they really are quite delicious. I I heard a quote from uh, the owner, her name uh, escapes me, but she's the owner of Queen Majesty Hot Sauce out in New York. And in an interview, she referred to her sauce as food that you put on food. Like if it doesn't taste good <laughs> on its own, it's not going to taste good on the food you put it on. And that's... That's something that's really resonated with me as far as like thinking of how condiments function. And that's sort of why I don't really have an appreciation for Tabasco because Tabasco is like a flavored vinegar. It's not really like a food item. It's an additive. Yeah. And the concept of making uh, definitely there are very good hot sauces that are still very spicy that people can appreciate. But the unfortunate thing, from my perspective of the industry, uh, especially with you know the the rise of YouTube and people wanting to see sort of challenge uh, type things, there's been a big rise in what I would call non-food hot sauces that are just very heavy on capsaicin extracts, and the taste mm-hmm. is sort right. of fallen by the wayside because they're just trying to achieve a number. It's a competition more so than a taste. I feel like. A bragging, like a, you know, you get bragging rights, you know, if you handle this particular hot sauce, but it doesn't really taste like anything. Yeah. So I think that could be a bit of a pitfall for people that uh, that are trying to journey into uh, exploring spices. I think they need like a little bit of a like a sort of spice Sherpa to steer them away <laughs> from the challenge sauces and towards things that are sort of on the the more uh niche kind of delicacy type sauces i think we just found your new title by the way (laughs) the spice sherpa (laughs) (laughs) and i Um, i I know we've been railing on tabasco but um tabasco if you'd like to sponsor the spice cast uh please reach out uh we will not say any more bad things about you if you are our sponsor i make no promises It can be a very good ingredient. I just don't consider it to be a condiment. I would yeah. agree. It's mm-hmm. it can be so good in stews. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The the thing that Tabasco excels at. So there's there's types of hot sauces that are sort of designed to open you up to receive the pepper, and that's kind of what Tabasco does. Uh, in and of itself so the vinegar sort of opens up your nasal passages and it allows the tabasco peppers to sort of arrive uh, so in like a really dense food like a chili or a braise uh, a little bit of tabasco not so much that you know it's tabasco that's in there but something to sort of cut through all that is really useful 
Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the the sauces, though, that you were mentioning earlier, strophium, the ones where the point is really to kind of, you know, brag about the 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 Scoville units that you've been able to consume and, and live. I guess they, uh, this is a bit of a hot take, maybe. Ha ha, hot take. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, as somebody that loves to grow food, I find myself sometimes frustrated at hot sauces like that because it's like peppers are these wonderfully complex ingredients. They're so varied. They have so many different flavors and textures and there's there's so much going on there, but it's almost like they've extracted just one part of a really complex personality and they've made kind of the the hot sauce all about that one thing instead of all of the other you know, aspects that the pepper brings. And, you know, coming back to what I was talking about with the with the ghost peppers is it was so surprising to me at that time that it wasn't just heat. There was so much flavor. And I think sometimes, and I'm not even thinking of Tabasco here, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking about the, so the bragging rights hot sauces, um, that they almost do the peppers a, a little bit of disrespect, a little bit of a disservice because... It's, it's like they've reduced this really complicated thing to just one aspect. And peppers have a lot more to offer. So I, I yeah. guess that's one reason that it, it kind of bothers me. It's a very shallow interpretation of the medium. Exactly. I mean, the way you were describing challenge sauces sounded exactly like the plot to Avatar. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Can you please elaborate? Please. <laughs> The peppers are like the unobtainium on the the planet, and uh, all of the hot sauce aficionados are all of like the blue aliens that live there. And then the the challenge hot sauces are like the the military industrial complex coming in and tearing up the forest and destroying the beautiful uh, interlocked uh, network of trees that are sentient, so that they can just make a buck off of it. I mean, I'm I'm down with criticizing bad hot sauce in the military industrial complex in one fell swoop. So <laughs> I have to admit that was not anywhere that would never have been um, where my my mind would have gone. But that's pretty awesome because I think I saw the movie once whenever it came out. And that's it. <laughs> Very interesting analogy. I love it. All right. So let's talk a little bit more. I, I think Strophium de defined it. Um, pretty clearly, but let's talk a little bit more about what hot, what makes hot sauce hot sauce. Um, so uh, like he said, it is a, uh, it, the, the key ingredient in hot sauce is the chili peppers. Um, I would argue that uh, liquid and acid are not required to make a hot sauce. I would, I would argue that just chilies and salt can make up hot sauce but do, do you want to argue with me about that strophium or do you want to have a have a justification behind your reasoning for that so i admit that i have a little bit of a cultural uh tunnel vision with this so i have a background in puerto rican cuisine um irish cuisine mexican cuisine and american cuisine and obviously whatever else Americans get exposed to at whatever shallow level that is. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I think of like 
uh, harissa or sambal or salsas, um, things like that. And the the farthest thing I can get to from being absent of acid is sort of like a Mexican fresh salsa, which still, in my opinion, has acid because tomatoes are an acidic fruit. Absolutely. I think it's tough because I think we hear both hot sauce and chili paste used. And so I think you could argue about semantics and like the taxonomy of various sauces. And is chili paste a hot sauce? Is it a base? Is it, are they both different kinds of spicy condiments? Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Ruben, on I think the only thing that's really required is, is chili peppers. Um, but then again, I'm coming with my own bias of the first hot sauce, quote unquote, uh, that I really fell in love with was a really traditional harissa that was basically just um, ground ground peppers. And obviously there were other spices added to it, but it was far more of kind of like a paste consistency um, versus like a liquidy hot sauce. Um, so I, I think, I think the, the liquid is optional. Yeah, and I guess we don't need to argue about what's hot sauce and what's chili paste and whether they all belong in the same category. We can just talk about all of them because they're all valuable and all delicious and they all deserve a, a place on, on this show, right? Yeah, and I think to a large extent as well, it's sort of like a you know it when you see it kind of thing because based on most standard definitions of hot sauce, I think you can make the argument, I know you had a chili segment before mm -hmm. and I think chili technically fits the definition of a hot sauce. Wait. Huh. Chili, as in, in this case, we're talking about the food made, made with, like, like, beans. Yeah, like the stew. Okay. I hadn't thought of it that way. I guess um, there's nothing to say that you need to have few ingredients in your hot sauce, although most hot sauces that we think of hot sauces, that we think of as hot sauces, have fairly few ingredients, I would say. Or a more uniform consistency. And I'm not even saying blended, but... All of the different chunks in chili, I guess, push me away from from hot sauce, thinking of it as a hot sauce. Um, yeah, I think there's like a textural element as well. Yeah, it's like a uniform viscosity in a sense, mm -hmm. like sambal obviously has uh, a varying texture to it, but overall it has like a horrible uh, sense to it. Yeah, exactly. I like I like that term, viscosity. I think that's a good way of thinking of it. It's interesting. Have either of you ever traveled in Western New York? Yes, I have. Have you Have you ever tried what they call hot sauce that goes on top of um, garbage plates or do uh, hot dogs or things like that? It's it's actually like a meat sauce. Oh. I have, and yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's almost akin to like the uh, the chili that would go on top of like a Coney Island dog. It's like very yeah. stewed down beef. Yep, it's like Cincinnati chili or one of those like spiced chili, spiced um, meat and tomato mixtures. That's interesting. I didn't know they called that sauce. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Um they sometimes call it meat sauce, but they, I think they also call it hot sauce, which definitely definitely too, confused me. Sauce is used so broadly, right? There are, there are thick sauces, there are thin sauces, there are blended, there are chunky. And so if we're just looking at it semantically, hot sauce 
just kind of implies a spicy sauce. And I'm not saying that that's the official, of course, definition, but even just looking at the word, like, I, I guess there's no reason why that, you know, ground beef tomato mixture wouldn't be a hot sauce in the strictest definition, I guess. So you're saying that um, arrabbiata sauce, like hot tomato sauce, is also a hot sauce? You know, I haven't had that, so I will I will uh, defer to defer to you on that. <laughs> uh, hot take: anything that's a sauce and spicy is a hot sauce. Yes, I'm, test I'm... it out. So oh, now we're, we're now we're re- even re-examining our the one thing we agreed on, which is that it had to have chili peppers in it. <laughs> where 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 do you all fall on the uh, the hot sauce D and D spectrum? I think I'm more and more like chaotic evil on this on this spectrum i think i would be chaotic neutral i really like to experiment and i like to have people try the things that i experiment with and i like to try uh other sauces that are sort of all over the place and i don't really think about the consequences until i'm in them yeah i think chaotic neutral is good too because i don't think you know my background is science but i don't really think about hot sauce in a scientific way to be honest like I don't think about it in terms of a taxonomy or in terms of the proper classification or when I'm making something I'm not usually concerned with is this a proper hot sauce I'm usually just concerned with flavors components textures Um, yeah yeah so chaotic neutral I I like that I'll go with that I guess chaotic evil would would um, imply that like spicy ice cream is hot sauce and I don't think I'm quite there yet so let's let's put me back in the in the neutral category. Spicy hot or spicy What if you melt the ice though? cream? <laughs> if you melt the ice cream, then you have a spicy uh, creme anglaise, which is a sauce. Ooh, is a spicy yeah? Is a spicy creme anglaise? Would that be so? Also, yeah, the the chili honey I mentioned earlier is that a hot sauce? I think it has to be. Oh God, <laughs> we're we're making definitions that we can't hold to. <laughs> I want to be a, I want to be I think I want to be slightly more pure and um, elitist about my hot sauce <laughs> <laughs> I think it's tough with food though and it's tough with terms like hot sauce that I would say you know we we have things like um, you know like harissa or even what I was talking about earlier with um, you know wasabi paste or um, Tabasco and you know, while I guess in English, certainly we would refer to probably the harissa and the Tabasco as hot sauce. That's not what, I, I don't think that's really how the cultures where a lot of these things come from would refer to it. So hot sauce is kind of like us trying to enforce a classification on a really, really diverse array of condiments. So I'm, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go even more chaotic neutral and lean into this and say it's it's a spicy condiment. It's like, interesting. We, we talk about spicy condiments. <laughs> yeah. It's well, so is is mustard, hot mustard a hot sauce? But anyway, um Oh, no. It's that's tough. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up wasabi because I think to call wasabi spicy is doing a disservice to what wasabi is. I mean, it's not spicy at all in the same way that chilies are spicy right it's more nasal and it's more Mm -hmm. like uh sinus effective Um, it's totally different but it's it's interesting it's it's 
it's like it affects an entirely different part of the anatomy involved in, in eating it, you know, which is interesting because everything that's spicy, I usually at some point it's going to it's going to have a burning sensation on your tongue at some point. So I think that's an interesting segue into something that I, that Strophium had brought up when we were talking before um, before the show. Um, so you had wanted to examine what factors affect where you taste the burn in your mouth, or I guess in this case, not in your mouth, in your nose, where you feel the burn. Um, have you had any insight in your hot sauce making into what those factors are? I have, actually, and it's really interesting. So, um, for one, I think viscosity matters a lot. So, if you get like down to like a vinegar-based sauce, like a Texas Pete's or a Frank's Red Hot, um, which I... I would still classify as like food above the definition of uh, Tabasco because there's a lot of flavor in like they let the fermented peppers kind of shine a bit. And I love uh, Frank's Red Hot. Yeah, it's so simple, but it's got like a very nice quality to it. And one of the great things about Frank's Red Hot is it's so luxuriously textured and so thin that it can sort of wash over your mouth. And it just, you get a generalized capsaicin coating, whereas like a very, very thick sauce kind of gets localized and the, the capsaicinoids kind of burrow into that one spot and it can be kind of brutal and it can make the sauce feel a lot hotter than it actually is. Uh, additionally, uh, adding sweetness in different ways can change the progression of the heat. So like if you added honey to a sauce, the way I the way I view it is sort of you imagine the your body receiving the heat as like a waveform. If you take in like a habanero mash just into your mouth, you're gonna get a really quick spike, and then it's gonna ride and like taper down. Uh, if you add honey to that mash, what you're gonna do is you're gonna turn that more instead of like a triangle wave, it's gonna be more like a like a sine wave where it's gonna approach the heat and then it's going to go away from the heat. And I think in terms of developing sauces, being cognizant of the way things are going to change the progression of that experience are really important. That's where I think challenge sauces also fail is like the taste isn't there and also the complexity of the heat experience also is not there. It's just cranked it up to 11 and lets you ride it I was going to ask Strophium, with the sauce that you uh, recently sent out, the one that I have possibly already eaten like almost the entire bottle of, um, how did can you talk kind of about how you were able to get that that kind of that fade was it honey or because i one of the one of the reasons it's been so successful amongst like my my friends and family is it doesn't just completely coat your palate and so it's got all this flavor but it feels really intentional about where different flavors hit your palate and where they linger and i'd love to like hear more about how you how you came up with it Sure. So um, Fresno peppers from the get-go have a very amazing taste. And when you ferment them, what happens is the pepper starts to break down a little bit. And the capsaicin concentration is all, everyone thinks it's in the seeds. And I understand why, because the capsaicin is actually in those white pithy membranes inside of the pepper. Mm -hmm. And that's where the seeds are held. So they get coated in capsaicin oils. And... Um, so when you bite into that area of the pepper, you think it's spicy. In the fermentation process, that 
pithy barrier actually starts to dissolve and it permeates the whole pepper. So immediately there, you're getting a much more generalized combination of the capsaicin and the fruity qualities of the pepper and also you're you're developing the taste of the pepper like i said and uh, i'm not sure what the fermentation process actually does to peppers specifically but it adds a lot of complexity so from the get-go there you're already changing the that dynamic of how it hits your tongue and then from there uh adding the right amount of vinegar will open up your taste buds to receive more of the pepper so once you have a substantial amount of vinegar in a sauce, the viscosity matters a lot because where it lands on your tongue or your mouth, um, that spot is going to open up. So the more viscous you get, the the more spread out that becomes and the less intense overall it feels. And <clears throat> adding sweetness after the fact, I added a brown sugar in this case um, for, for the aphotic haze sauce. Uh, Something about the added viscosity from adding like a sugar or a syrup to a sauce, it uh, helps it sort of carry away and it doesn't deliver all the capsaicin at once. And it also elongates that sort of waveform of experiencing it. So it was mostly just like a taste and uh, evaluate sort of thing. So once I got the acid and the sweetness where I wanted, it felt like each taste kind of has like a roller coaster effect where you start at a certain spice level in your mouth and you end at a certain spice level and there's like a little bit of a journey in between and sometimes you want sauces to build as you're eating them sometimes you want them to like neutralize what i was going for for that sauce was i wanted it to each taste ended a little bit higher than where you started but it was never like uncomfortable yeah i think that that describes it really well and um also with the the spice rub that you gave me that was from kind of the like the dried I think like dried peppers or was like dried leftovers or something um it was really amazing how so much of the hot sauce's flavor was still in kind of the dried powdered component which was really interesting and also got me down a very strange line of thinking of wondering if we wanted to send hot sauce to space if we could just dehydrate it like that and rehydrate it later in space but um I think that's quite a bit of a tangent. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's really interesting because I think the, the sauces that have the coating where they almost prevent me from tasting what else is in the food almost kind of defeat the purpose of the hot sauce. Like to your point, Strophium, I, I love the way that you said it's food that should be on food. So it's like it should be complex and be able to stand alone, but also it's meant to be paired with something, so it should kind of enhance or, or add something, but not overwhelm. And so there's that balance that's really needed. Something else that really affects the sauce a lot is the, the, the choice of chilies. So Strophium, would you, would you talk more about how you chose Fresnos? Sure. <clears throat> um, I sort of come at it from two angles. So right now the first batch that i started developing i was sort of in the dark because i didn't really know how to develop a sauce recipe i have a cooking background uh, when i was in college i from when i was a teenager till i was about 26 i want to say i was working restaurant jobs so i know how to develop like regular recipes um, but developing a sauce was sort of interesting because i needed to imagine how it would be applied to other foods as well and like leave it sort of to be able to stand on its own, but also how to uh, 
thinking of it, how it would interlink with other foods. And I actually forgot your specific question. Uh, why did you choose Fresno's for your sauce and what, what were the factors that led into that? Okay, so the I chose Fresno's initially because they were the most readily available sort of red hot chili pepper. Um, did you find them under the bridge? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was just a vendor right there with just pounds of peppers. <laughs> yeah, so Fresno's are just like very available peppers. And uh, so what I did initially was I'm going to try fermenting some peppers. And then I had all of these peppers. I had them in a gallon fermentation vessel. And I was thinking to myself, how can I make this into something that tastes good? And I tried one and it had like this very fruity but very substantial sharp kind of taste so i thought that this it could cut through like smoky barbecue flavors very well so i was going to try to make a sauce that goes well with barbecue uh, so i went from barbecue to the idea of smoke uh, i wanted this to go really well on like smoked meats uh, so from there i was like okay i'll just embrace the idea of smoke and i came up with the name before i came up with the recipe uh, and the name was aphotic haze which is basically just meant to evoke the idea of being like in a dense fog of smoke and from there i was like well uh i need something to bolster the smoky quality of this so i'm going to add smoked peppers to it and my favorite kind of smoked pepper is a chipotle pepper so i got chipotles in adobo sauce and i blended them in uh, i i want to say it's a two to one uh fresno to chipotle uh ratio and from there it was already really good because um adobo sauce is very flavorful on its own so i wanted to take those adobo flavors and sort of amplify them so i added um some spices that i liked uh some liquid smoke uh liquid hickory smoke ended up actually being a huge savior for the sauce uh, i was really like i had gotten it to a certain point and i wanted it to still be smokier but have the same profile and uh, I just happened to see liquid smoke in the store and I got a couple bottles of it. I got uh, apple and hickory and uh, the hickory was amazing. So uh, I also added things like smoked paprika and uh, I wanted to add a lot of caramelized flavors. So I was thinking, you know, what goes well with barbecue flavors? Like, well, a lot of barbecue sauces have like brown sugar. So I'm going to add brown sugar. I want to roast the garlic and get it as very cam caramelized as I can so I had the garlic like slow roasting for like something like two and a half hours I want to say at like a very low temperature so it came out like a paste and then uh, I roasted I, I initially wrote the recipe to have two bulbs of garlic which seemed like a lot at the time but I ended up going, I ended up roasting three just to be safe. And then I ended up using all three. And then when the sauce is done, I immediately modified the recipe with uh, line crossed out next time, at least four. <laughs> so next one's going to be even smokier. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I, I think what's awesome about that is that you built the layers of smoky flavor. It wasn't just like, oh, throw some liquid smoke in for smoke. It's like all of these different components that build and build and build on the smoky flare and it's n and th therefore it's not just like we were talking about with tabasco it's not just one note at all there's no chance it could be 
Yeah, definitely. And the more I got into the process, the more it felt very familiar to me where I was just sort of iterating on a recipe. But at the same time, I had the sort of I, I was sort of channeling the idea of brisket while I was doing it. It was like eating this sauce should make me want like brisket or ribs or something to put it on. So I was using the sort of desire to eat barbecue as a litmus test for where the sauce was successfully. That's awesome. So going back to chilies, um, Jess, you had, you said you had some experience growing, um, chili peppers, uh, and you wanted to talk a little bit about how the growing conditions of the peppers can affect their fruit flavor or, uh, their other flavors. Yeah. So (laughs) sure. So, um, you know, my, my, gran- my grandparents were farmers, and so I had a lot of experiences um, growing food as a child. Uh, they weren't really big chili pepper fans, so that wasn't something that I really got experience with until I was in grad school when um, I volunteered on a farm in my spare time. And there, um, <laughs> there's actually a really funny story. Um, It was, you know, a a smaller scale farm. We supplied CSAs and local restaurants. Um, But one year, through some wonderful mishap, uh, when all of the pepper plants were put into the ground in the field, um, they all got mixed up. And so we suddenly, normally, you know, everything was very organized, you know, usually in rows. Um, And... (laughs) And this time, uh, they were all a jumble. And the the farmer that I worked for really did not like spicy food. He did not like spice at all. And so I had made the mistake, perhaps, of expressing enthusiasm for peppers and spiciness because he dragged me out on like a 100-degree day, and I had to go plant by plant trying one from each plant, and then trying to figure out which pepper it was based on flavor oh, and God. how spicy it was, which sounds amazing while we're all sitting here in our wonderful, like, you know, air-conditioned houses. But 100 degrees, it I was hurting by the end of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, to, to the topic that you brought up, like with all, uh, like with all fruits and vegetables, a lot of the flavor comes directly from the growing conditions. And so this has a lot more to do than just, you know, what temperature it is outside or how much sun it gets, but also the nutrients in the soil, the pH of the soil, consistent watering, how much water. Um, and it's, it's something that I've really noticed affects, um, affects peppers, affects actually lots of, lots of different fruits and vegetables. But what, what has been really interesting to me as well has been seeing how the same variety, like the same, you know, let's say I have a packet of seeds, it's all like the same plant. And planting two different plants in two different areas or maybe even next to different, you know, other vegetables or herbs can really, they can, cha- they, they can taste like two different peppers sometimes. Um, which also made my adventure trying to label them all and figure out what they were uh, <laughs> very challenging. Impossible, but, um, some might say. <laughs> yes, yeah. By no means am I saying that I was some kind of like, you know, sommelier of peppers going down and figure out exactly what varieties they were. But it was mostly like, this one's sweet. This one's a little spicy. This one's medium spicy. <laughs> um, but also affected by, you know, when when peppers are picked. And so I think 
of course, if people are listening to a podcast all about spice, they, they probably know this, but I was really surprised at how few people understand that, you know, green peppers aren't, they're, they, they're, they're not just green. Like they're not peppers that stay green always. They're picked when they're, when they're green and that that is a choice. And so, you know, for example, um, oh, what am I thinking of? The shishito peppers, um, which are, you know, more often picked when they're green. Um, I grew those in my garden this year and I remember showing a friend and I had, you know, missed one and it ripened and got red and they're like, oh, wait, what? Like, how is the plant making a red pepper? <laughs> it's like, no, all, all green peppers, if you leave them, will ripen. Um, and so, what you know, that, that leads to a lot of interesting terminology differences. So, for example, one of my favorite chilies is a ancho chilies which really are poblano peppers. So those are same chili. Um, it's poblanos that are left to ripen until they're red and picked and then dried. And you get, I mean, taste an ancho chili, taste a poblano chili. It's not just the drying there that's making a difference. It's the ripening and, and when, when that pepper is picked, which I think is really fascinating that the same plant, the same type of plant, like you could even, you know, take a poblano, pick it when it's green from a plant and let another pepper on that same plant ripen, pick it, dry it, and they're going to taste completely different. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. So um, it's an interesting point as well, because uh, uh, peppers are sort of uh, rare in the, the category of vegetables that don't have an absence of flavor when they're underripe. So things like potatoes and carrots and other things, you don't really want to eat before it's time to pick them, time to pick them, quote unquote. Uh, but like an underripe ancho is just a poblano because they just taste different. They don't taste less adequate or astringent or anything like that. Um, and that's sort of like a very interesting thing. So yeah, like uh, another point is I had plans for a peri-peri sauce, so I ordered a bunch of red Thai chilies, or at least the picture was red, and I got three pounds of green Thai chilies, and I can't make a peri-peri sauce with green chilies, so that's how one of my labels came to be, so I had just decided to uh, create an experimental label because green Thai chilies taste fundamentally different to red Thai chilies and they don't taste bad or worse or anything. It's just a completely different flavor profile to tackle. Yeah. And so there's, there's a, a fair amount of vegetables that you can, you can pick when they're young. Um, but to your point, like there are definitely a lot that underripe have something kind of unpleasant about them, but for the ones that can, you know, that, that you can pick early. A lot of times it, it yields a milder or a sweeter flavor. I just love how versatile pepper plants really are. And, you know, when, you, when you're growing a plant in terms of getting a profit from that plant, you're thinking about, or, or even, you know, maybe you're, you know, homesteader or something. And so you want to get as much value, shall we say, from the plant as possible. The more um, parts of the plant that you can use, the better. And so peppers are, are cool um, because obviously you know for example uh maybe with climate kind of becoming more uh unpredictable you might have an unexpected cold snap and so it's not the worst thing ever if you have a bunch of pepper plants with green peppers on them and you have to pick them early there's still a lot of value there and also pepper flowers are really delicious but um i think 
yeah, it's peppers are really interesting too because I love how much the flavor changes, not just with ripening, but with all of the different uh, like cooking methods that you can apply to them. And so this isn't to, you know, I, I love potatoes, for example, and there's a lot that you can do with potatoes, but I find that the flavor doesn't change perhaps as much if I fry them, bake them, grill them, boil them. But with a pepper, if I dry it, if I smoke it, if I char it, if I grill it, it gets such a different flavor, it brings out so much complexity. And so maybe I just love potatoes less than I thought, but I really do think peppers are peppers are a special a, a special vegetable, a t- technically a fruit, but you know, special vegetable. There's an interesting point there as well. Uh, there's there's a lot of complex things that peppers do uh, under different circumstances, and I I'm not even sure if it's fully understood uh, scientifically what's going on. But for example, like a roasted poblano has been proven to have a higher Scoville rating than a non-roasted or otherwise cooked poblano. So. Uh, like a pan-fried poblano versus a boiled poblano versus a raw poblano, the roasted one will have a higher capsaicin content. But that's not true for all peppers. Oh, okay, because I was thinking about that. I was wondering if it was what, you know, the the breaking down of the pith again, and then perhaps that's releasing more of that capsaicin throughout the, the pepper. But if it's something that's more unique to poblanos, that's really interesting. Also, I just, poblanos are awesome. But... <laughs> yeah, it turns out that all peppers, uh, all pepper varieties will modulate their capsaicin content under different cooking conditions. That's fascinating. That's, yeah, that's amazing. And, and so, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a plant nerd in general, but the adaptability of, of peppers in particular has really impressed me. So a lot of times, you know, they tell you there's only certain kind of growing zones that you can have different kinds of peppers in but you know I've had plants that are supposed to be hardy and do not do well outside of their growing zone but peppers they're just a little bit they're just different outside of their growing zone maybe not as the yield is a l- is less but the flavor is different versus a lot of um, a lot of other plants which com- completely fail to yield if they don't have the right growing conditions yeah and I mean an- anecdotally my friends that have grown hot peppers have said that their work to yield ratio is extremely, extremely low. The yield is super high yep. um, for, for how much you actually have to do for them. Unlike tomatoes. Which Unlike tomatoes. I love tomatoes. Don't get me wrong, but oh, they, they're they a high maintenance. They, they take work. <laughs> if you're well, going for low maintenance, maybe um, zucchini and peppers are your friends. Definitely. <laughs> um, peppers are also, not only is the yield for, so getting one plant to grow, I think will give you something like one to 200 peppers per season, depending on the, the variety. But even if you have a bad growing season and you have a small plant with a low yield, that just means you're going to have hotter peppers. So you can't really screw it up too badly. One of the things that I think is also really interesting about growing peppers is and this, this kind of gets to, I think, a sort of fundamental connection between culture and, and food. But, you know, there, there are varieties of peppers that have such important 
you know, they're like cultural mainstays or they have like an important cultural role. Um, one of my favorite peppers are fish peppers. And so they're really, really delicious if you haven't had them. They're also really pretty. So if you're trying to pitch growing peppers to somebody that's more of an ornamental gardener, look at fish peppers. They're beautiful. Um, very tasty, though. But one thing I love about fish peppers is really their story. And it's interesting because they they were a mainstay in the black community in America and used a lot in uh with seafood cuisine, hence the name. That's where they get the name fish pepper. Um, but I want to say it was early 1900s, I think. And I might be goofing my time, so forgive me. But uh, they were kind of, they, they were in danger of disappearing and going completely extinct. Like we wouldn't have had that variety anymore. And it was thanks to a, a black painter. Um, and his name, oh, his name is Horace... Oh, Horse Pippin. Yeah, like Lord of the Rings. Um, and he was a black painter who was trading fish pepper seeds for, I think it was like for honey or for bees or for bee houses, something like that. And um, thanks to thanks to him trading these seeds to like this, I, I don't even remember the, the beekeeper's name, but thanks to him trading those seeds, we were able to kind of keep this variety alive. And... It, it really reflects not only how important kind of diversity of cultivars is, but also how important seed saving and making sure that we're preserving a lot of these historical varieties. Because I love fish peppers. I've, I've eaten them a bunch. I've grown them. I've cooked with them. And if not just for a single person, we, we wouldn't have the pepper today. And so save seeds and use really cool varieties because it, it keeps kind of a history keeps pepper history going the spice cast endorses this message <laughs> thank you for that um some something else that was super interesting to me everybody knows that there are like hundreds and thousands of kinds of peppers but uh strophium you were saying that there are really only five species right yeah um and even more narrow i think among that five most people have only really experienced uh, unless they're sort of you know chasing the the dragon so to speak they've only experienced uh two maybe three of those species so there's capsicum annuum capsicum uh bacatum capsicum chinens capsicum frutens and capsicum pubescens and uh i think most people if they're eating like bell peppers and cayenne peppers and stuff, they're in like the, the annuum bacatum sort of area, uh, maybe the frutescens. Uh, but all of the super hot varietals are all without exception capsicum chinens. So like the butchalokia, the naga, the viper, the scorpion, uh, all chinens, all the same species. And the reason that the varietals are so vast is because the way pepper plants pollinate, they're so aggressive with cross-pollination that even just having two pepper plants in the same greenhouse will yield a, a mutated offspring. Or I guess not mutated, but it, the, a crossbred offspring. So not only just uh, using selective breeding uh, by picking the peppers uh, that represent the what you most want to see succeed, but also just 
putting two plants in the same uh, grow room uh, over several seasons will yield you uh, essentially a pure hybrid of them. So also, not to not to be a pedant, but I think you know we've we've uh, capsicum has a lot of different species. It's just that like five or so of them are the ones that we have domesticated for agriculture. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right, true. There are five uh, growable uh, yes. in, in uh, varieties of species. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate the pedantics and <laughs> clarification. We are on a spice podcast after all. We love our peppers. We love our peppers. <laughs> Another interesting point too is that peppers are actually annuals. Uh, a lot of growers treat them as perennials because they like that high degree of control and a lot of places that they grow, especially the spicier ones, tend to have either arid conditions or very harsh winters, um, which sort of stimulate the capsaicin content. So a lot of times they'll either do cutbacks uh, and replants. Uh, well, actually, sorry, very rarely they'll do cutbacks and replants, but more often than not, they'll just select the peppers that they like dry out the dry them out extract the seeds and then replant those peppers next year that's super cool all right so we're running a little bit long on time um but strophium did you want to quickly cover um the ph levels of different hot, hot sauces by necessity in different regions of the world oh sure um yeah so i guess to the point um acid i guess technically doesn't have to be a component in hot sauces but in my experience, there's always at least some degree of acid. And I think culturally, uh, there has been a necessity for different regions to have a higher pH content. And whatever means they use to uh, achieve that is usually also a factor of necessity. So older cultures tend to have um, older techniques, obviously. So fermentation uh is one avenue to get the ph level up so uh or down rather the acidity level up uh so creating a brine uh creates an anaerobic environment for fermentation to happen and uh the presence of sugars and an anaerobic environment allows lactobacillus to proliferate which creates two primary uh, byproducts, that being CO2 and acetic acid, and the acetic acid acidifies and preserves the peppers. Uh, so over time, the pH will get anywhere, I think it can go as far as like two, like very, very acidic if you let it go for over a year plus. Uh, other culture- Is that like battery acid level? <laughs> I'm not sure, it can it can become damaging if you use very hot peppers and you let it ferment for a very long time but uh yeah i don't know if it would ever be like fully corrosive like <laughs> to the All point right, of well, battery acid if you are making hot sauce though one be very very careful with um your eyes and also if you are taking an approach of drying and blending your chilies be very careful because inhaling large quantities of the um chili particulates those things can actually hurt you be careful please or or at the very least make you uncomfortable for a very long time yeah that's the least like that's best case scenario best case scenario it's gonna hurt <laughs> i feel like i'm being called out because yesterday i did a hot sauce making stream and i kept smelling the uh the hot <laughs> blended puree 
and I was no, kind of I wasn't even thinking myself. of you. I promise. I was actually thinking of myself because when I lived in Tunisia, I lived next to a bunch of stalls where they would dry out the peppers for harissa. And when I would walk back to my house and they were doing the blending, I would have such a bad cough and like a sore throat. And I would be actually in a lot, quite a bit of like chest pain um, from, and you could see it was like, there was a pink haze kind of around all of the stalls. So uh, no, I was, I was, I was shaming past me. Don't worry. I was not thinking of you. <laughs> oh, and I Googled this to double check. Uh, it turns out that the lowest pH that lactobacillus will proliferate in is 2.5. And under that, it actually, it doesn't kill the lactobacillus, but it goes into sort of like a stasis mode. So it waits until it reaches a new environment or has food introduced, which will raise the pH, and then it will reactivate. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, one last thing before we take a break. Um, let's do a, a quick, you know, top three or five or whatever is easiest for you. Jess, what are your favorite chilies for hot sauce, if you have any? Ooh, um, so oh, this, it's like you're making me choose between my children. It's like, I don't have a favorite. Um, <laughs> scotch bonnets, I would say, especially if I'm doing a sauce that has a lot of fruit. I find that like scotch bonnets with mangoes and pineapples, something that I really love. So um, great. So good. And let me think. Um, like I mentioned earlier, ancho chili slash poblanos. And yes, I'm totally grouping those together. I'm cheating. Um, I I love poblanos and I love ancho chilies. Um, oh, man. And if I could pick a third, if, if, if we're being real, if we're playing fast and loose with our, our hot sauce definition, and I'm thinking here more of like spicy sauces and spicy stews, I, I love using fish peppers. Mm. So. Wonderful. How about eustrophium? Um, if I had to pick a top three, I think Fresno's coming at a solid number one, just because even as sort of like a filler pepper for a like if you wanted to have a slightly amplified sauce, using Fresno's as a base is really good because you get like a base level sort of, uh, I want to say like a 20,000 Scoville range. So it's, it's a good tolerable sauce level and they bring so much flavor, especially when they're fermented. Um, I would say number two would probably be chipotle peppers, which is technically a jalapeno, but uh, I think going through the chipotle process of uh, it's essentially just smoking the pepper and uh, desiccating it and then putting it in the adobo sauce, it adds so much complexity to the pepper and it's so good on its own. Like it's painful on its own, but I could just eat like just pop open a can of uh, chipotles and eat them. Uh, for number three, I'm going to have to go with the good old boot jalokia, the ghost pepper. It is a very hot pepper, but it is so flavorful. It is flavorful like a habanero. It's like a very fruity in that way, not in the same way, but in the same category of flavors. It's a very fruity pepper, and the the way that it burns is so satisfying. If you can dial, if you can put it in something that dials the heat back just enough so that you can experience like the sort of low rumbly smoldering kind of heat that it delivers, it is a very very satisfying burn in terms of the way that it burns. Um, so I think it's very versatile and it 
it gets a bad rep because it's got a scary name and people used it in like yes challenges and stuff but it is it's like a delicious. gorgeous pepper it's gorgeous really oh man i wish i could go back and change now because oh yes I, you, I'm you with can you, you okay. can no rules i don't know which one i would boot though i love them all <laughs> just just do four it's fine <laughs> and, um, and the funny thing is is they're not even like ranked like all of all of these peppers we've been talking about are amazing so it's not like i sit here and i try to think of a bad pepper that i'm like no this one's not good and i i can't think of one yeah so i i don't know that i have three but i have two definitely that i want to add to what you were were both talking about um i really love cayenne peppers for hot sauce specifically i just a classic cayenne pepper sauce is one of my favorite things even just a frank's red hot or a more artisanal variety of of uh, cayenne pepper sauces is, is great and then i also wanted to add in habanero depending on the quality of the habanero um, that you get i think it can it can produce some of the the best sauce that i have tasted um, including those floral and fruity flavors uh, with quite a bit of spice yeah, I would agree as well. Cayennes and Tabasco peppers would both make it into my top five. And if you could somehow, like, if they could share a spot together, then uh, Habanero would be number five. Eater. Eater. <laughs> I think um, the Tabasco company would be angry at you for having them share a spot with Cayennes, but uh, that might just be me. All so right. If, if we're allowed to make five, can I add one quick one really please, fast? Please, please. Um, which I haven't been able to find in the U.S. Um, I had them in Tunisia. Uh, they're what traditional haris is made from, but they're bakluti peppers. And they're not, I would say, you know, they're not like scotch bonnet spicy or anything. But they have this wonderful kind of sweetness and also savoriness about them. Kind of like not even a new mommy. It's, it's, it's hard to describe, but they're they're a very very savory sweet kind of uh pepper that i think adds something really unique to the harissa that you get in tunisia um so i'll add that very briefly as number five honorable mention to new mexico chilies um i really do love uh green chili sauce Ooh. i feel like if we keep going we're just gonna list every chili every chili Every All right. Chili. So every chili is good. in in lieu in lieu of listing every chili in the world, <laughs> let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Spicecast is sponsored by Hairshare. Hairshare is your premier worldwide wig swap community with over 1 million members. Searching for a new look but don't want to commit? Hairshare is the perfect solution. Browse thousands of hair pieces to find one that is right for you. Members get free international shipping on all Hairshare transactions with the code SPICY. Uh, so use that code at checkout. Hairshare asks you, have you had a rare hair care scare? Join a fair spare hairwear affair with Hairshare. Jess, are you aware of Hairshare? I I am not aware of Hairshare. Oh. I'm uncultured. 
Strophium, how about you? Have you used Hairshare before? Yeah, actually, little known secret. Uh, people that have been following me on social media and sort of going through this uh, hot sauce journey with me and my also game development journey as well, they noticed that I've been growing a little bit of a beard uh, since the pandemic started. Uh, guess it's time to come out with the secret. I actually shaved it six months ago, and I've just been trying <laughs> different beards with hair share ever since. And how's that working out for you? Are they comfortable? Oh, it's fantastic. It's just like regular hair. Uh, it, like It's just growing out of my face, and no one's even noticed. Uh, I, they just think that I'm styling it differently. That's really impressive. Um, just a true testament to the power of hair share. Jess, you'll have to get in on it. I know. I, you know, I, I have what I call hair uh, ADD, which is an offshoot of my own ADHD, which is that I want to change my hair way more than my hair can probably handle. So it sounds like I, I need to check out hair share because I need to be changing up my look way more often than my poor hair can probably handle. And that is the beauty of hair share. Uh, no commitment. If you want to swap that hair back out, uh, you can just do so at any time, and there's no cost other than the subscription. Thank you to Hairshare for being a proud sponsor of the SpiceCast, and remember that Hairshare is there. And now, back to the show. Okay, so let's jump back into it with a, uh, a quick overview of some of the common styles of hot sauce. And again, we're using the term hot sauce fairly loosely. We're including chili pastes. We're including things that don't have acid or much liquid. Um, however, because of that factor, this is by no means an exhaustive list of the styles of hot sauce or chili paste or any of that that you can find in the world. And uh, and the SpiceCast encourages you to go out and do your own research uh, and send us all of your favorite styles of hot sauce. Uh, you can contact us at podcast at thespicecast.com. That's our email. Or at the SpiceCast on Twitter, at the SpiceCast podcast on Facebook. We'd love to hear your favorite styles of hot sauce or your favorite recipes for hot sauce or you know, your favorite chilies or any other hot takes you may have. So uh, the, the first style that I wanted to uh, talk about is uh, a Hungarian chili paste, which is called Eros Pista. And I know I'm pronouncing that, uh, that word wrong, but I can't pronounce an O with a double umlaut or dub, double accent. It just, it just is not in my range. Um, However, Eros Pista has a very special place in my heart. Um, I lived in Hungary for uh, a few months, and Eros Pista was the sauce that you would put on pretty much anything when you went to a Hungarian restaurant. Um, it's just chili peppers and salt, so it's extremely salty. Uh, so be careful when you're using it and mix it into a, a larger dish. Um, highly recommended if you ever have a fish soup um, to mix in Eresh Pista. And, and the other thing that's really charming about this sauce is that it is, it, the, translate, the translation of the name Eresh Pista is strong steves, 
So Pishta is uh, a sort of a, a shortening of Istvan, uh, the, the Hungarian Stephen. So Erosh Pishta, strong Steve. Um, and there's usually a, a strong man on the, on the label as well, which is just wonderful. So Jess has mentioned this one a lot, uh, Harissa, um, Tunisian chili paste. Um, it includes generally uh, roasted sweet peppers as well as hot peppers and many, many spices and herbs. Uh, do you want to talk, Jess, about your, your favorite uses for Harissa? Sure. So I, I love harissa so, so, so much. Um, and one of the things that really surprised me when I was in Tunisia is that, well, it's used in a lot of dishes and also in um, kind of a, a use, like if you imagine you go to an Italian restaurant, you sit down a lot of times, we'll have olive oil and bread for dipping. Um, so in a Tunisian restaurant, or even if you're at someone's house, it's very common to have harissa paste um and if you're if you're really getting authentic harissa it will be it will be a paste it won't be kind of like a hot sauce consistency and it won't be uh the dried uh spice mix either but if you if you have the paste um you kind of put a, a healthy smear of it on a plate and you drizzle it with olive oil and you top it with a handful of olives um and so that's often kind of like a pre-meal uh, snack as everybody is, is, is sitting around. Um, one of my favorite things that probably might be obvious to other people, but especially given that I wasn't a huge spice fan before coming to Tunisia, was the use, the heavy use of harissa in breakfast dishes. And so it, it took me a while, honestly, more so than eating spicy things for dinner or lunch. It took me a while to get used to eating something spicy when I first woke up. But now harissa and eggs or harissa in lablabi, which is a kind of a chickpea stew. Very, you know, spicy, punchy, but absolutely delicious. And it also is the key ingredient in my absolute favorite, oh, I can't say favorite dish of everything, I love food, but favorite Tunisian dish, uh, oja, which is, um, you might know it as uh, shakshuka in, in Algeria and Libya, but it's a tomato-based curry with uh, kind of eggs cooked inside of it. Um, and harissa is used very heavily in that. So you can use it where you would like a, a condiment for, for anything, but mixing it into stews, soups, but especially just with eggs is very delicious as well. That's really interesting. I didn't know that harissa was actually used as like a plated ingredient. So I grew up in a half Puerto Rican family. Uh, my uh, adoptive father is Puerto Rican. And we would, uh, Puerto Rican culture has a lot of cooking bases like sofrito, recaito, uh, things like that, which are usually like some kind of pepper or tomato based thing that is like stewed down and then you refrigerate it and then you like just get a glomp of it and put it in a pot of something that you're cooking. Mm, uh, yes. And I know that like with shakshuka, uh, that's how I've used harissa where it's like something that sort of can like sink into like a braise or a stew. Uh, but I didn't know it was just like smeared on a plate with like olive oil and olives. That's really neat. Oh yes. And it's so good. Actually, it's, it's so good. I have a very short story that's should, should also be illustrative of how delicious harissa is, is that I went to Tunisia thinking black pepper was spicy. And on, when I was trying to get into the airport, to come home uh the the airport in tunis the capital is is very small 
and it's uh, ha- has a lot smaller of airplanes and usually you take a flight to Italy or to Brussels or something and then you take you know a major flight elsewhere um, but the the planes have very strict weight requirements like more strict than any other airline I've been on um, probably because the airplanes are a lot smaller but uh, <laughs> so four months after I thought four or five months after I thought black pepper was spicy I was kneeling down suitcase open throwing away clothes and shoes so that I could make the weight requirement because I refused to throw away the probably like 30 cans of harissa that I had in my suitcase so I came home with way less clothes but literally my suitcase was probably 50% by weight harissa (laughs) because it's just so good and I I haven't been able to find any any kind of variety in the United States that has really come close to to the stuff that I got there. So I'm, I'm grateful. I actually went through it in a couple of years. And when it finally ran out, there was a heartbreak moment. But if anything is a ringing endorsement for trying Harissa, it's it's that transformation that I went through. Um, and it's worth it. It was worth throwing away all the clothes. That's awesome. What a great story. <laughs> yeah. So um, moving slightly north and east, uh, mostly east, uh, there is a Yemeni chili and herb sauce called jug or shug, um, different spellings, obviously, depending on uh, where you go. Um, that is an interesting one because it can be made with either green or red hot peppers, but the, the major other component is cilantro or cor- fresh coriander, um, which gives the, the jug that I've seen an incredible green color and a really, really interesting taste. Um, And the sauce also includes olive oil and a bunch of spices. Um, So that's that's a very cool one and also popular in Israel. As someone who takes pride in liking most foods and being able to appreciate most foods, cilantro really upsets me because I have the cilantro soap gene. Oh no, no. the soap gene. That's horrible. Yep, and I've actually tried jug before, and it was disgusting. But that's my fault, or <laughs> well, my genes' fault. Cilantro is delicious if our, if you don't our have condolences. That yeah, <laughs> I was not made aware that there was cilantro in it, and it looked amazing. It does. It's a very very beautiful sauce, and uh, you will taste cilantro. So if you do have that gene, I would probably stay away from jug. Oh, I just googled it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, if you're if you're listening, Google it. Oh, that's beautiful. It's so green. Yeah, so if, if you're listening, definitely Google it. Z-H-U-G will get you there. All right, so um, an Indonesian style of chili paste, which I, it's hard to really call it a style because it sambal encompasses hundreds or possibly thousands of varieties of chili pastes and sauces. Uh, they're popular in a number of countries in South and Southeast Asia and increasingly around the world as they spread. They, they always include chilies, um, but they also often include garlic, shallot, tomato, shrimp paste, and some kind of citrus juice, as well as any number of other ingredients. Um, e- even durian can be uh, an ingredient in some, some sambals, so, uh, and they can also be served raw or cooked. I will say, if anyone listening likes sriracha, get sambal, smear it on some steamed fish. So you good. You won't go back. 
It is fantastic. And it's got a textural component to it that Sriracha doesn't have that I really enjoy. And I would say even the commercially available sambals in the United States, while they don't come close to those you'll get in Southeast Asia, they're still really delicious, in my opinion. Um, so other Others might have uh, more pure opinions about it, but uh, I think you can't go wrong with a sambal. It's so good. And there's actually, there's there's one that's in Malaysia, and I am completely blanking on the name but it uses a really amazing chili uh bird's eye chilies and i had it with um oh was it? It, was, it was like fried plantain or fried banana and honestly I, i'm not a big fan of bananas but i tried this you know wonderfully garlicky like oniony kind of spicy sauce with a fried banana and it made me like bananas so that might just be the sauce was that good but it was a very interesting pairing that i was not not uh prepared for but it was delicious interesting side note about the uh bird's eye chilies that particular pepper is grown so many places that it has like a hundred names so it's the thai chili the piri piri the peri peri and uh bird's eye chili i think are the four that i know of but it's it's popped up in so many different regional cuisines because it's just that good (laughs) it's very versatile also you can use it in pretty much anything i guess you could say that about most peppers though anyway um moving on we've mentioned it you know it you love it sriracha um it is originally a thai chili sauce though strophium pointed out that it's very very common in vietnamese food and the uh, the version that with the rooster that we're familiar with in the U.S. Uh, is produced in California by a company started by a Vietnamese American. So it's very strongly associated with um, Vietnamese culture as well. Um, sriracha is made from peppers, vinegar, garlic, sugar, and salt. Uh, you can include other spices as well, but those are the standard ones. And it is used in a ton of dishes that uh, you may be familiar with. Uh, The Spice Cast recommends using it with seafood, eggs, soups, uh, especially pho, or just on noodles, especially like stir-fried noodles. Any more sriracha love or hate from either of you? Yeah, this is like, it's sort of a a love-hate comment. So if anyone doesn't know, sriracha is made from red jalapenos, but the variety of red jalapeno is basically like a protected secret. There's like a special farm just for sriracha peppers and they've uh, selectively bred them for, I guess, since the, the, since the company has sort of spiked in the U S and if you just go to a regular store and get red jalapenos, you can make a good approximation of sriracha sauce, either with, fermenting them or using fish sauce to get that sort of funk but it'll only ever be an approximation so it's nice that there's such a unique pepper being used for a very particular sauce but it kind of annoys me that i can't make a perfect sriracha if any companies are listening please open source your your pepper seeds or just all all of your seeds we want to we want to experience them in our own homes Food should be open source. <laughs> yes. Maybe a controversial opinion, but not on this show. 
All right, so it's hard to call this one a hot sauce, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Korean chili paste, also known as gochujang. Um, it's, it's interesting because it is not generally made with fresh chilies. It's made from uh, Korean chili powder, gochugaru, as well as glutinous rice, which can be in its whole form or its powdered form, um, fermented soybean powder, barley malt powder, and salt, as well as some other ingredients. Um, this, this one is commonly used in bibimbap, as well as a bunch of other Korean dishes. Uh, it has more of a sweet than a spicy flavor, um, but there is certainly some spice to it, and it's it's such a beautiful, vibrant red color that it's it's iconic in that way. Yeah, it's like uh, what is that? Uh, that red cake. I'm blanking on the name. Red, red velvet. velvet. Red velvet. It's like a red velvet cake color, and yeah, you're right. I would describe it as like it's like a very deep, warm. Uh, paste. It's not something that you would think of as hot, even though it has like a heat presence on your mouth. But it looks really hot. It looks way hotter than it is. And it is just, it's really delicious. The sweetness in particular, I found, um, is is really yummy when making marinades for, mm. for meat or for fish. Um, and there's a, uh, a Korean dish that is um, like a steamed kind of egg dish. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh just put like a just get a big like tablespoon and just heaping mound of of gochujang and plop it right on that and it is so good and compound butters the amazing thing about gochujang is it's so thick and spreadable if you just get some soft butter mix it together with like a little Mm. salt and pepper you could either even just put that on toast if you wanted but what i like doing is if i have like a roast chicken or something uh, getting a lot of that compound butter like up under the skin so the gochujang just like sinks into the skin and the meat I I too have made a gochujang glazed chicken roast chicken and it is outstanding it's very sugary too so it's very good for like I actually haven't tried this but imagine gochujang like mixed into like a barbecue sauce and you're like glazing mm. ribs with it it's so good Ooh. for browning and forming a crust yeah getting that caramelization yep all right, so so jumping from East Asia to South America to a, a style of hot sauce called ahi, uh, which usually contains hot peppers, tomatoes, cilantro, sorry, strophium, uh, onions, and water. That's, a, that's an interesting ingredient. Um, you don't see that in a ton of uh, hot sauces around the world, although um, it does pop up in some other places. Uh, Aji is commonly prepared in Bolivia, Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, and Chile. Uh, though they may not call it aji in all of those places, uh, it's a similar style of, of sauce that's prepared in all of those. So I have a, um, a Jeopardy question for you, I guess. Oh, no, now I have to phrase it like Jeopardy. I don't know if I can do that. Um, but I, I have a cool fact question. Uh, now that we're talking about South American hot sauces, um, since we were talking about cultivated pepper varieties earlier versus kind of the, the wild varieties, this, this was a fact that I learned that really, really surprised me, is which, uh, which country do you think has the largest diversity of, of wild peppers that are like actually part of the cuisine? So they're, they're consumed, they're bought, um, and, and used in the cuisine. Oh, geez. 
I'm gonna don't don't tell me if this is right. I want Strophium mm-hmm. to get a guess, but I'm gonna guess Brazil. Okay. I was actually literally going to guess Brazil. I can change. I have another guess. What's your other guess? Peru. So Peru is the country with the highest diversity of cultivated peppers. Ah. So all five that Strophium was talking about earlier, you are are sold in Peru. But Bolivia actually has the largest diversity of wild peppers. So this is this is something that's really, really cool because those other five varieties, these are, you know, ones that are commonly used in, in, in cuisines all over the world. But the Bolivian peppers, which there's like, I think, I want to say 20 to 27 wild varieties. 20, 30, 37? No, 20. I think it's in the 20s somewhere. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, varieties of, of wild peppers. And many of them are grown in Bolivia and, and used in the cuisine. So it's one of those kind of facts that really, really just makes me want to go to Bolivia and eat all of the peppers. So I can yeah. try all these varieties that you wouldn't, you wouldn't really get elsewhere. That's super cool. Yeah, it's very interesting. I knew it was going to be like some equatorial country. I just wasn't sure which one. Yeah, yeah it, it's a tough and it, it, good guesses all around. It just I think it was really surprising because I think so often we focus on the cultivated varieties, understandably. But it's like it's like finding out there's this whole other world of peppers out there that I haven't really gotten to experience. Now I'm really curious. We need the the wild harvested pepper industry to take off like they need a uh, pepper pigs like they have for the truffles. <laughs> As long as it doesn't get like over over harvested, then yes, absolutely. And I would say maybe don't call them pepper pigs if you don't want to get sued by the uh, what oh, is that the, Aus- the Australian media company or whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on to Caribbean hot pepper sauces, they often use, as we had mentioned, Scotch bonnet um, or and or habanero peppers. Um, vinegar is a typical and key ingredient. And something that's interesting about Caribbean sauces is that they they will often include other fruits or vegetables, um, not just onion or garlic, but but mango or celery or something pretty interesting, as well as a number of spices that um, have long been cultivated in the Caribbean. By necessity, I've found in terms of the the fruits. So I actually just spent five hours yesterday making a Caribbean hot sauce that I sort of I, I just came up with the recipe in my head and it turned out to work really well. So yay me. But yeah, so I used fermented habaneros, three pounds of those suckers, and they ended up being really, really hot. Uh, I included, so with the three pounds of peppers, I had six cups of pineapple juice and four cups of mango. Wow. And even with all that, it is still <laughs> the hottest sauce I've ever made. And uh, I decided to go with like the traditional uh, spice ingredients of like allspice, uh, cumin, clove, and mm-hmm. those are amazing together. Especially like when you when I smell cumin, I think of like taco. Like cumin just smells like a taco, but mm-hmm. mixing it with the other sort of like aromatic spices, it just changes those spices into like a savory variant of themselves, as opposed to smelling like cumin. So it's really interesting how they work together. So let's jump into uh, Mexican salsas, uh, which are 
very, very varied as well. It's it's hard to put them in a single category. Um, what we know of as salsa in the United States is uh, a type of Mexican salsa, but there are so many other varieties that range from chunky, like we, we know salsa, uh, to completely smooth uh, and without tomatoes. Uh, so they they uh, Mexican salsas will usually use chili peppers and then sometimes another fruit such as tomatoes or tomatillos. Um, frequent additions include onion, garlic, and cilantro. They're often served as a condiment with tacos, stews, tamales, or pretty much any dish you can think of. Yeah, salsa is amazing. I don't really have much to add. <laughs> and you you know there are sort of vinegar-based salsas as well, like Cholula and Valentina, and those are popular in Mexico as well. Those have many fewer ingredients, um, and they are closer to that Louisiana style that we that we know in the U.S., uh, and so those are, those are really highly recommended as well. Yeah, and a good uh, cultural point, if anyone's not brushed up on their Spanish, uh, the Cholula and uh, all the, what we would consider to be sauces, they would still just be called salsas down there because salsa right. just means sauce. All right, so the, the final two categories that I, that I have defined arbitrarily, because um, we could go on all night, are Louisiana-style hot sauce, which we just mentioned. That includes uh, Louisiana hot sauce, Tabasco hot sauce, uh, Frank's Red Hot, Crystal, and Texas Pete. Um, and that is primarily Tabasco and or cayenne peppers uh, and vinegar and salt. And those are the, the, the main ingredients, some stabilizers often for commercial use, but that's about it. Do you guys have like a ride or die Louisiana sauce? Because I do. My favorite is Frank's Red Hot. I think I've mentioned that. Uh, I really love it. Um, but I think that's also due to the fact that I grew up close, pretty close to Buffalo, New York. Oh, I see. So the, as, the historical we'll, quality. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the classic buffalo wing sauce, Frank's Red Hot mixed with butter. So um, it's definitely nostalgic for me. Yeah, I'm not super close to New York. I mean, I guess I am. It's like a one and a half hour drive. But uh, yeah, I've always been, I think maybe just exposure wise, I got used to it first. But to me, it's much more of like that quintessential Louisiana sauce compared to like a Texas Pete's or Cristal. What about you, Jess? Favorite Louisiana style? Oh no, I feel like I'm gonna lose lose some of my my hot sauce credit here. I'm really not a fan of Louisiana style. No, hot that's sauces. fine. Maybe it's just like I haven't had the right one, but I mean I'm open to trying new ones for sure. Um, but there has never there's never been one that makes me want it more so than other hot sauces. I will say this: Do you like traditional like buffalo wings? I do not. Oh, okay. But maybe it's just the vinegar concentration is just too high for your palate. It's just they and and again, I'm I I try to remain open minded, especially when saying I dislike something, because I I've experienced in my life so many times where I thought I disliked something and it was just because I had, had like like a poorly made version of it. Um but the buffalo wings that I've experienced are often very, very one note and so it's just so much vinegar and it's just so much kind of bland spice, if you know what I mean, that um, it, it doesn't really bring anything. And so 
that might be that might be an area where I just have to find the better varieties. But so far, I, I, I haven't I haven't found one yet. I will say that for me, Tabasco is the worst of the Louisiana so style hot sauces. And it's just so heavy on the vinegar and one note spice for me that it's hard to even put it on eggs or something, hard to even use it. And while I totally understand not liking Louisiana style, I, I do really like those other ones, Frank's, Crystal, Texas Pete, Louisiana tried brand. Crystal. Yeah. So I'll, I am open to it, trust me. So I, I'm always more than willing to try new hot sauces. Go get a bottle of Frank's tonight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like we're getting a snowstorm tomorrow, but I will I will risk my life. No, I'm joking. <laughs> if any listeners have uh, favorite Louisiana style sauces or any others, please write to us at podcast at thespicecast.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and we will read them on the show uh, if uh, if you write to us. Uh, the, the final style, which is also a, a U.S. style, but it's so different from Louisiana style is um, New Mexico style chili sauce which the just the process of making it is so different it it usually involved involves roasted or dried chilies that are fried in lard and then you add flour and broth or water into the pot to make a gravy consistency and that is your that's your chili sauce Um, you can do it with green chilies that's the most common way um, using hatch or santa fe uh, chilies or, or a couple of other varieties that are popular in New Mexico or red New Mexico chili sauce can be made using any variety of native red chilies to that area. This almost sounds like a French technique. Like it sounds like they're doing like the mother sauce, like roux based. Yeah, yeah, it is. A, it is a roux for sure. Yeah. So I'm wondering if this was sort of like a stew base that culturally evolved to become a spicy sauce or something like that yeah and i will say it's it's common to add pork into this and then serve it over rice or uh over another dish in colorado and new mexico they, they put it on everything over fries um burgers like all all kinds of stuff and it is fabulous it's a fabulous sauce. Oh, so it's like their version of the uh, the the white gravy sauce or whatever that's called. I forget. The sausage gravy? Yeah, sausage gravy. Yeah, it's it's sausage gravy and it is spectacular. Neat. I learned a thing. I think we all did. Hopefully our <laughs> listeners did as well. All right. So let's jump from styles to a brief history of hot sauce, very brief. All right, so the history of hot sauce. So this is a this is going to be a very brief history. I, I literally only have four notes here. Um, because the history of hot sauce is so long and storied that we couldn't possibly cover it on this show. And each variety of hot sauce that we've mentioned, as well as the hundreds of other varieties of hot sauce that we haven't mentioned, each has a a long and uh, noteworthy history. So we would encourage our listeners, if you have favorites, 
to uh, do research on those and learn the, the amazing stories behind some of your, your favorite sauces. So humans have been using chili peppers for spice for more than six millennia, that is known. Uh, it's not exactly known uh, when people started making hot sauce exactly, um, but it's hard to believe that humans haven't been making hot sauces for thousands of years. Um, considering how much we enjoy hot foods and uh, how long a history there is of using hot peppers in our food. Uh, we don't have specific history for, uh, for hot sauces that far back, um, but we will jump very far into the future. Uh, so by the early 1800s, hot sauces were available for purchase in the United States. Um, I'm not sure whether they were available in other countries before that. I'm sure they were in some form or another available for purchase. Um, but commercially, uh, that's when they appeared in the United States. And the oldest recognizable brand in the U.S. is Tabasco, which we have talked about a lot this episode, so we don't need to give it any more airtime. Um, but it was founded in, the Tabasco company was founded in Louisiana in 1868. You know, I think, um, and I know we're, we're doing such a, such a brief history, understandably, because it's, it's so beyond the scope of, of this podcast, but... I think, especially as an American, there's a very somber note to the history of hot sauce that's really important to recognize, which is that a lot of um, the hot sauces and cuisine, spicy cuisine that we've come to love in America, even some some pepper varieties. So we were talking about the piri piri um, bird's eye chili earlier. Were were brought to the United States through the slave trade, and so I think it's it, it's very. Um, you know, like I said, it's a very somber note in the history of hot sauce, but I think it's also really important to kind of recognize um, where where these uh, cuisines and where these peppers have come from. And it's, I mean, it was such a connection to the slave trade that often the, the ships that were bringing the slaves to America often had a bunch of chili peppers on them as well. Um, and so I think it's just like out of respect for history and also just kind of acknowledging like that connection between food and culture that exists all over the world. I think it's an important part of hot sauce history to acknowledge. Yeah, that's super important. Thank you for bringing that up. Another thing that I, I would add um, on the same sort of somber or at least ref reflective note um, is that, that everybody should be aware of is that uh, a, a lot of these hot sauces that we love in the United States are either directly uh, imported from other places or indirectly inspired by uh, the, the cuisines of other cultures in other places. So just remember to, to remain respectful of those cuisines and those cultures and those people um, when, you're, when you're talking about and eating hot sauce. Yeah. And culturally, hot sauce is very much a melting pot, especially in the United States. And being aware of the the cultures that these sort of flavor profiles are borrowed from, it, being as true to them as possible is a really good way to honor them. Anything else to add about the, the history of hot sauce? 
I think if we start down that road, it'll be a whole nother, whole nother podcast. Whole so. nother podcast. Well, Super it, fascinating. I want to know about, I, I like, I really want to Google now thousand year old hot sauce recipes. But. What I want is like an anthropological <laughs> map of the progression of hot sauce over time and like how it moved through the world and developed in different regions. Oh, and actually I will be so quick. I know. Um, no, no problem. But Strophian and I were talking about this the other day. Um, we were, you know, geeking out about our love of hot sauce, um, as we do. As you do. <laughs> as you do. And uh, we were trying to think across so many different cultures. It really feels like spiciness exists. We thought at first when we were thinking, we're like, okay, that's got to exist in like most cuisines, right? And then, um, so I, my, my family, well, half my family is from Ukraine. And like the Russian cuisine that I had while I was in Russia and the Russian cuisine that I've been brought up on, there wasn't really hot peppers. There was like some sweet peppers, but there wasn't anything like hot sauce or anything that would bring up kind of those spicy notes. And so it was really interesting because as we were you know, talking about it, I think we both were like, oh, well, it has to, ex- it has to be everywhere, right? Every, every country has to have their variety. And then it occurred to me that that was one example that I could think of um, from my own experience where it really, it really didn't exist. Oh, that's really interesting. All right, so let's jump into hot sauce in pop culture. So let's talk a little bit about hot sauce and pop culture. Um, first, in software, in experimental software, which I know is a hot topic for all of our listeners, uh, there was a piece of software that was developed by Apple and never released that was called Hot Sauce. Uh, that was its like code name. Um, but nobody really knows what it did because it was never released, uh, but you can read about it more uh, on the internet. I, I was not, um, I, I found a little bit of information, but I was not able to understand what they were saying uh, in terms of what it did. I would love for it to be like some kind of analytic software that would like analyze an image and tell you where it was taken or like analyze a piece of music and tell you who played it. That, that would be very cool. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You sh- you should uh, you should read up on on hot sauce. Yeah, I'm very curious now. Um, so, moving quickly from software into sports for our our, our monthly dose dose of sports here on the Spicecast, we always find something to connect with sports. Um, baseball pitcher Kevin Sochet, uh, which is spelled Saucier but pronounced Sochet. Um, who played from 1978 to 1982 was nicknamed Hot Sauce uh, because of I, I'm assuming it had to do with his name, but the the reason cited was because of his overactive o- overactive temper and emotions. So he actually stopped playing baseball because uh, there was some kind of psychoanalysis done on him, I believe, and the doctor thought that he was actually going to hurt other players with his pitches based on his um, mental oh, state geez. at the time. So 
uh, not the the happiest of baseball careers, um, but a an interesting nickname nonetheless. It's interesting too because it brings up, you know, just from from a linguistics perspective, how how many different meanings hot can have. Mm-hmm. So we can, it can refer to temper, it can refer to spice, it can refer to temperature, it can refer to attractiveness, right? It can refer to viralness. So both viralness in the um, internet sense and viralness as in the uh, the contagiousness of something. Right, like a hot zone. Um, yeah. Yeah, as well as uh, radioactivity. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of possible, like if you were to just say hot, it's interesting. There's, there's so many possible meanings for it. It's really cool. Yeah. There are two other athletes who uh, have the nickname Hot Sauce. They are MMA fighter Trevor Smith and basketball player Philip Champion. Um, but I could not find a reason for either of those nicknames. So uh, if you want to do more research on that, that could be an interesting way of going. Um, I will say uh, with basketball players, especially people that are shooters, they are often uh, known or the people refer to them based on like how heavily they streak. So if they like make, you know, 15 or so shots in a row then they're considered like a hot player so could be from that hot sauce philip champion um i which i don't know why he didn't go with some version of champion as his nickname but you know hot sauce is good too um there are a number of books with hot sauce in their titles i i didn't look at cookbooks for this Uh, i just looked at fiction um including two separate romance novels that are each called Hot Sauce. Uh, There is one that is a a gay romance novel and one that is a fairly traditional straight romance novel. Uh, Both are called Hot Sauce. So um, definitely look into that if you're interested in those kinds of books. Um, There is a memoir of, I guess that's not exactly fiction, um, but a memoir of an American-Israeli political cartoonist uh, that is called Falafel with Hot Sauce. And the other one that I was able to find was a murder mystery uh, called Murder with Collard Greens and Hot Sauce. And I think that relates back to um, the the series that we were talking about uh, last episode on the Chili episode. Um, and I think that the book in that series was called The Chili Con Carne Murders. Uh, and I think the, this is a very similar similar sort of series. I get a really weird feeling about combining romance and hot sauce. I feel like I, all I just think is like, I hope the characters wash their hands thoroughly. Keep, keep it to, to the, the verbal. That doesn't need to be. Yeah. I mean, Please. maybe they're just hot characters. I don't know. There you go. Oh, quick PSA, by the way. Something that I learned is, uh, so while milk is like basically the only real thing that works for uh, alleviating hot sauce on your tongue. If you want to get it off your hands, strong alcohol. So if you either use hand sanitizer or if you happen to have like an overproofed vodka lying around, um, you, or actually, sorry, vodka actually won't work. You need very, very high proof. So it would need to be like rubbing alcohol. Uh, just rub that on your hands and it actually denatures the, the capsaicin. That's pretty cool. Okay, so moving from literature into the screen, 
Um, there is a 1997 movie called Hot Sauce. It's rated four out of 10 on IMDb. So I, I can't say I would recommend seeing it, but I haven't seen it myself. So I can't tell you for sure. It might be amazing. Um, Hot Sauce is also referenced in the 2009 comedy movie uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop, which I didn't have to bring this up on the show, but I chose to because I wanted to talk about Paul Blart Mall Cop on the Spicecast. Um, <laughs> Paul Blart enters a nacho eating competition with the guy who runs the hot sauce kiosk in the mall. Uh, and I believe the nachos are spiked with jalapenos, and so Paul Blart needs to drink something, and he ends up drinking super hard lemonade. So he kind of like gets extremely drunk after this nacho competition, which is the only time we can see his like true wild side because um, he's such a, a put put together mall cop. Uh, but later in the movie, the the same guy that he was in the contest with gives Paul Blart a bottle of Devil's Crotch Hot Sauce, which is not a real brand, but it could be, um, which he uses as sort of a, a, a weapon to blind a suspected criminal. Uh, highly not recommended to do that to your friends, so please don't blind your friends with hot sauce. Have either of you seen Paul Blart Mall Cop? I have not, but You're missing it out. reminds me... <laughs> That that blinding somebody uh, with hot sauce reminds me of I think it's in the movie Cool Hand Luke, um, which is dating myself a little bit, but uh, where I think he uses like he uses pepper. I, I thought it was red pepper, but it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. Um, he uses pepper to kind of uh, confuse the the, the 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 scent dogs that are on his on his trail. Hmm. If I remember right, I saw this movie when I was a kid. Doesn't he do that? If I recall, the only two things I remember from the movie are he's eating eggs, and that's where the quote, like the, what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> but I think I remember the hot sauce thing now that you mention it. Yeah, right? Okay. I might just be, I hope I'm not misremembering this from my childhood, but... I think that was part of that movie as well. If you uh, are angry at us for not knowing pop culture, you, you can feel free to write to us at podcast at thespicecast.com. I will take all the blame for uh, any mistakes and I will correct them. Wait, so your comment on Paul Blart, was that a yay or a nay? Should we watch it or no? The, the classic 2009 comedy film, Paul Blart Mall Cop. You should absolutely <laughs> watch it. I mean, I'm aware uh, of the meme, but... <laughs> uh, I did watch it. It's not as bad as the the internet would make it out to be, um, but it's certainly not a high-quality film, I would say. Okay. It's like what you would expect? Like it's sort of like a slapstick situation? Definitely heavily slapstick, maybe slightly better than I would expect based on everything I've read on the internet. But I, I also saw it in 2000, I think, 10 or 2009. So um, not the most uh, up to date on the Paul Blart Mall Cop scene. Anyway, in, in uh, less um, <laughs> in, in newer media, uh, we've talked about the YouTube series Hot Ones on the Spice Cast before. I don't know if either of you have anything to add about Hot Ones here, but I just wanted to mention that Hot Ones also has a television game show that involves contestants eating extremely spicy chicken wings and then answering trivia questions. 
I saw the TV show once. I didn't like it. I really like the interview format because, I mean, it's it's a show with hot questions and even hotter wings, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I really like how candid the people, uh, the the interview subjects are, and uh, I I would like to formally compliment Sean Evans on this this public platform because he's an amazing interviewer in his own right, even without the hot sauces, and he reminds Absolutely. me of. Um, if anyone out there likes uh, hip hop, there's a, a hip hop uh, artist, interviewer, uh, media creator called Nardwar. And I think Sean Evans draws a lot of his inspiration from him because he has the same effect where he will come up with these questions for people and they will have the reaction like, how the hell did he know that about me? And yeah. then it really sort of breaks through a barrier where the the person being interviewed no longer feels like they're just sort of like running through the motions because especially the celebrities, they 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 book like days on end of these interviews so they just do them in a big marathon so being able to break through and like reach them as a person and not someone that's just trying to meet their contract requirements is like a very tough skill and i think he's got it down pat yeah and i would echo what you said about uh the the tv show i've i've watched a couple of clips and it doesn't seem enjoyable it just seems painful Whereas the, the YouTube interview show is highly enjoyable for me. All right, so there are a few songs that have the title Hot Sauce, um, including songs by the country rap artist Breland, uh, the English musician Thomas Dolby, uh, rapper Young M.A., uh, and a number of others. Uh, there's also been a an album released by the Beastie Boys in... 2011 called hot sauce committee part two they had planned to release hot sauce committee part one um, but due to unfortunate circumstances with a member of their band um, they never released that but they did release part two which is kind of interesting that they still released it as part two um, they also have at least two songs that mention hot sauce in in the in the lyrics uh, so i think hot sauce is a strong influence for the Beastie Boys in their songwriting. And there are a ton of, of songs that include hot sauce in their titles or lyrics. So I'm just going to list a few of the more popular artists uh, that have hot sauce songs. Uh, hot Sauce to Go by Pharrell Williams. Uh, Unhappy by Outkast uses it in the lyrics. Um, Bardier Cardi by Cardi B. Uh, Taco Grande by Weird Al Yankovic, Burger Man by ZZ Top, Bling Blah Burr by Gucci Mane, County Building Blues by Kendrick Lamar, and there are there are so many more that that reference hot sauce, um, especially in rap lyrics. It's incredibly popular. I don't know if uh, either of you have any more that you wanted to mention or any favorite uses of hot sauce in in music. I have one pop culture reference, and I think so. <clears throat> Growing up, I think like we all know like the Jackass series and Steve-O being a particularly yep. weird individual. I actually gained a lot more respect for him uh, in in his more recent uh, life, I guess you would call it, uh, his presence online. Uh, so I originally gained respect for him when he uh, he posted like daily updates. Uh, he was live vlogging his random encounter. He was doing some shoot in a mountain and he came across a stray dog and he uh, took care of it and nursed it back to health and then adopted it and smuggled it on a plane to bring it back home. But 
tying this back into hot sauce, he actually recently did a cooking show with Gordon Ramsay where he plugged his own hot sauce that he came up with and poured it in his eyeball. Oh God! Don't do this! Don't do that at home, please. Of course Sorry. He did. I'm an EMT, and like I've seen, I've seen things. Like, please don't spice in your eyeballs. Don't mix. Oh God! Please don't. But yeah, beyond that, I think also, sorry to interrupt you, uh, the hip hop culture in general, I think because it's got a, it's got a regional and an ethnic background to it as well. Uh, less so now it's becoming a lot more diverse over time, but, uh, hot sauce as part of like the hip hop culture has been like thoroughly ingrained. And even now, like recently people are starting to discover like mumbo sauce. But mumbo right. sauce was like a very hyper regional uh, thing that uh, started to be referenced in a lot of hip hop and uh, rap lyrics, especially those coming out of the DC area. Yeah, I, I think you can see the same thing with like lemon pepper coming out of it. Yeah, lemon pepper chicken. And, yeah, and there are so many other food references that are hyper local in that same way. People, some people are really mad about being able to buy mumbo sauce online. Any other pop cultural facts or novelties to share? Um, Well, then with that, I just wanted to thank you both so much for being on the show with me. Thank you, Jess, and thank you, Strophium. Of course, this was a blast. Yeah, I had loads of fun. Thanks for having us on. It's been a pleasure to be regaled by your knowledge and um, I only wish that we could do a hot sauce tasting in person sometime. Uh, so maybe we can organize that after the pandemic's over. That would be amazing. Definitely. Also, uh, there, there have been talks in our, our shared communities about doing like a, a hot sauce trade. And we might uh, include you in that, that group so you can review. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to be a part of that. And if... Um, any uh, listeners of the Spicecast would like to be a part of it. I'm just going to open up your your private <laughs> swap. Um, but please please email us at podcast at thespicecast.com if you would like to be a part of any kind of a, an event like that. So with that, um, Jess, where can uh, people find you if they're interested in more of your content? Sure. So um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, the username is Enceladosaurus. Hopefully we can put that someplace for folks. It's not too hard to spell. Um, Enceladus, like the moon of Saturn. Uh, you can also just Google my name, Jesse Shanahan, and most of my social media and whatnot will come up. Um, I also stream on Twitch with the same handle. Uh, can't say that I have streamed or talked on Twitter about hot sauce, but um, I, I do a lot of science communication uh, streams on astrophysics, machine learning, video games so stop by say hi i'd love i'd love to know if people came from the podcast that would be really cool awesome and how about you strophium where can people find you uh yeah you can also catch me on thursdays on uh on jess's stream uh but i have my own stream uh twitch.tv slash strophium that's s-t-r-o-p-h-e-u-m um i stream hot sauce making now that's a new endeavor that i'm working on uh improving i also stream game development and uh various games i'm a big starcraft nerd but i've been playing a lot of cyberpunk lately as is everyone in the world uh but uh you can also 
get in on my hot sauce journey uh, i have a mailing list where i send people updates and uh get information on people that would might want to receive a hot sauce you can send an email to uh strophium 060 at gmail.com put hot sauce in the title and i'll add you to the mailing list and you absolutely want to do that because his sauce is so good seriously one of the best i've ever had up and coming hot sauce maker let me be your uh, spice Sherpa. <laughs> you saw him here first. When you're famous, you'll get to point back to this podcast and be like, yep, see? Before he was famous, he was here. <laughs> he was talking about hot sauce in 2020. What a year. Um, anyway, if in case you missed any of those links, we'll have them in the show notes for you. Uh, and it's been a long one, but thank you for listening and thank you for sticking with us through this episode of the Spicecast. It's been super fun to talk about hot sauce. Just want to thank you once again, Strophium and Jess, for, for being on with me. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Of course. No problem. So with that, I think we're going to call it a day. Um, I've been your host, Ruben, with episode 15 of the Spice Cast, Hot Sauce. Um, and we will be continuing the Spice Cast in 2021 with a new series uh, on all kinds of different spices. So continue listening and thank you for being here. Goodbye. I'm going to need a really good dinner after this. I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing.